0: welcome to two inches off the ground when you are enlightened you live your life two inches off the ground thank you for downloading this episode and before I start I have a dog I am dog sitting for who um, loves to snore and sit next to me so you know can never get away from the dog thing so um, if you hear a snoring dog that is why today's topic is non-binary meaning in spiritual history Non-binary or genderqueer is a term for gender identities that are neither male or female. My original feeling when non-binary became more popular was it was just a trend. It started becoming more popular 10 years ago. I say this with naivete because, you know, I'm a middle-aged person. I'm not hip to what younger people do sometimes. And now I realize it's something much more evolved and something... Much more spiritually aware. So I'm happy to report that. I was always in support of non binary and transgender, of course. In this space, we always support our authentic selves, but I just didn't know much about it. And now that I've been researching and I have friends who are non binary and transgender, it's just been very eye opening and very spiritually awakening as well. So after hearing all the information I present today, I want you to decide are non-binary people more evolved than the rest of us. So I just want to talk about a few terms quickly. The first one is cisgender. It's spelled C-I-S gender. It's all one word. And it means that the sex you were assigned to at birth, that's what you identify with. So I was born with female parts. So I identify as a female. So, you'll see in social media like Instagram and profiles that there's a step beyond that where people identify as, for example, fem cis. By the way, for cisgender, the shortened version is CIS, so just saying cis. So, people take it a step further and they can do something like fem cis, F E M M E, which means they identify as having feminine qualities, or they identify with the feminine qualities. So you can call yourself fem cis or femme trans, however you identify. And then there's also transgender, which I'm sure we all know. That means that the sex you were assigned to at birth, you now identify with the opposite. So if I was born as a female, then now I transition and I identify as a male, which I think we all know. The use of pronouns is getting to be bigger and bigger. Major corporations are asking on Zoom for people to identify their pronouns, meaning that I would say, hi, my name's Jennifer. Nice to meet you. My pronouns are she, her, because I am cisgender, right? If you identify as a male, your pronouns would be he, him. If you identify as non-binary, they, them, there. What throws us older generation off a bit, at least for me being middle-aged, is the singular versus the plural usage. So I'm not used to calling someone in the singular they, they're, them, while well, my mind needs to take a second to make that switch. And that's a little complex for me at times, and I just need that one or two seconds to make that switch. So it's never anything offensive, and anyone non-binary listening I want you to know that I think for those of us who support you and sometimes if we take a pause, it's just because we're so used to that grammar and we're, we grew up with that grammar that we need a second to just switch it. And that's all. Did you know that the spiritual history of the non-binary identity is as old as the first recorded human civilization? And I think we all know what that is. It was Mesopotamia. The current day location of Mesopotamia is Iraq, parts of Iran, Turkey, Syria, and Kuwait. Mesopotamia was a polytheist society, meaning it worshiped many gods and goddesses, very similar to the Greek goddesses, right? So in Greek mythology, you have Aphrodite and you have Zeus. It's the same in Mesopotamia. The most famous goddess in Mesopotamia is Inanna, or sometimes she's called Ishtar, or later in ancient Rome, you'll hear in this episode, she is called Cybele. Inanna was the goddess of love, beauty, violence, justice, and sex. Interestingly enough, she was not the goddess of procreation or a mother herself. However, sex can be thought of in biological terms, meaning male, female, or non-binary. Inanna had the mystical power that could change people's genders. She could change men into women and women into men. Around 2280 BCE, High Priestess Ed Hedwana wrote a number of poems and hymns for Inanna. Here is how she describes Inanna's ability in one poem. To destroy, to create, to tear out, to establish are yours, Inanna. To turn a man into a woman and a woman into a man are yours, Inanna. Now for our current society, the progressive way of thinking of switching gender identity is known as transgender and Inanna took it even further. In a later version of the epic poem entitled, The Descent of Inanna into the Underworld, there is a cult that worships Inanna named the Kergara. They are priests who descend into the underworld to help their goddess, but they do not have a clear gender identity, meaning they are non-binary. There were the Gala, the real-life priests who worshiped Inanna. Men who joined the priesthood would sing in the feminine dialect of Sumerian and adopted female names. They also dressed and lived like women and took on female pronouns. Also, sexual relationships in the Gala temple were varied. There were heterosexual families, queer families, people openly had sex with sex workers, And also, to have sex with a gala priest was considered good luck, and as I said on Clubhouse, if you find one, have at it and let me know. Let me know how good and how lucky you are after it. (laughs) I love a full report. This is a quote from Jessica Kale, who wrote a beautiful article on transgender and non-binary in Mesopotamia. It's from the website with the best name ever, dirtysexyhistory.com. I will put this article in the show notes, or I will put the link to the article in the show notes is what I mean. The gala were a class of priests sacred to Inanna. It was said they were initially created by the god Enki to sing heart-soothing layments for the goddess, and they certainly did that. To begin with, one of their primary roles was to sing hymns and laments to the goddess in Emsal, a Sumerian dialect spoken primarily by women that was used to render the speech of female gods. They presided over religious rites, healed the sick, predicted the future, made music, raised money for the poor, and dissolved evil during lunar eclipses. They were well-known and respected members of their communities and many of them were what we would now think of transgender. Now we move on to many years later to ancient Rome where Inanna is now called Cybele. Also the Gala are now called the Galli. When Phrygian goddess Cybele became a part of the official state religion of Rome, In 204 BCE, her galli came with her. At this point, genderqueer priests had served Cybele, Inanna, and other interpretations of the goddess for nearly 3,000 years. They were a common sight in the ancient world, but Rome wasn't quite sure what to do with them. This is where Christianity starts to come into play. The Romans thought of gender in terms of procreation solely. So meaning I'm a woman, I have a uterus, I have ovaries, I have a vagina, I can give birth. You're a man, you have a penis, you have sperm, you can help create life. So that's the way the Romans thought of gender in very strict terms. So imagine the Romans being more closed-minded with gender and here come the Galli priest. Here's a description of the priest the following day they went out wearing various colored undergarments with turbans and saffron robes and linen garments thrown over them and everyone hideously made up their faces crazy with muddy paints and their eyes artfully lined as you can see the early christians weren't fond of the galley and when the galley and the christians had street festivals on the same day fights would break out However, the galli were extremely commonplace in Roman society and beyond, but they were actually left out of the Bible. Then the Romans took it even further. Concerned with inheritance and property law, Roman citizens were prohibited from becoming galli because of the ban on castration. Whether or not they actually practiced this is debatable, but as far as Rome was concerned, anyone who could not procreate for any reason, including disinterest, infertility, homosexuality, celibacy, or impotence, was neither truly male or female. Castrated or not, the galae's non-binary status meant they could not inherit property. So when you think of the gala or the galae, to me they sound transgendered, but they're grouping them here as non-binary, and I think that's because castration came into play. And so when that castration began to happen, they were classified more as non-binary because they didn't have the male part and then they were dressing like women. So they were kind of this neutral in between. Either way, the gala were highly metaphysical people. Listen to what Kale says about their metaphysical abilities. One of the ways in which the gala practice healing was through a sort of music therapy that involved parading through town, while singing and playing chaotic music to induce a sort of transcendental joyful mania in the crowd. Along with service to the goddess, castration was believed to give one the ability to see the future. As historian Will Roscoe so beautifully put it, they were the sacred breaking through to the level of the mundane. I love that quote. This quote is everything because to me, it states exactly what is unearthing in our society now with people coming out as non-binary and transgender. It's being your authentic self and perhaps tapping into your metaphysical self when you embrace who you truly are. But we'll talk more about that later. We're going to jump forward to modern day, actually 2018. In the ancient ruins of Hasanlu, Iran, Evidence was found for a third gender, a non-binary gender. Archaeologists unearthed a golden bowl that depicted a bearded man who was wearing female clothing and sitting on the floor, which is a place reserved for women. Head archaeologist Megan Cifarelli believes this is evidence for a non-binary person that lived 3,000 years ago. The most famous Hassanlu remains, called the Hassanlu lovers, is of two skeletons Who are locked in a tender embrace and both are male amongst historians and the like remains such as this one have fueled a debate for love and sexuality in ancient society and where did it all begin we have our answer in the first civilization of mesopotamia as you can see mesopotamia had progressive thinking with regard to gender norms It's the idea of looking back in order to move forward. So why does the non-binary gender signal spiritual evolvement? Are non-binary people more evolved than the rest of us on a spiritual and metaphysical level? But first we have an announcement, an exciting announcement. Do you remember the podcast I started a while back? It's called Two Minutes Off the Ground. You remember. Good. In this week's two minute episode, I give you three crystals that embrace the non binary, transgender, and create a balance between the masculine and feminine. Two crystals are my picks, and i reached out to my crystal queen friend, Melissa, who has the beautiful podcast on grieving called The Leftover Pieces, for her recommendation as well. If you are looking for that feminine-masculine balance, or if you're non-binary or transitioning, this is the episode for you. Check it out on two minutes off the ground. The link will be in the show notes. And please give me five stars. It's vital to keep this podcast going. And check out my products and services at freespiritpodcast.com or simply donate while you're there to support this podcast. So why does the non-binary gender signal spiritual evolvement? Are non-binary people more evolved than the rest of us on a spiritual and metaphysical level? For those of us who know Megan Watterson, she has a beautiful book on mary magdalene she also has the divine feminine oracle cards which i love i have them in my house i use them all the time she says that inanna embraces dark and light and she also embraces duality and twin identity we can learn to embrace both our light and shadow sides and embrace our femininity and masculinity or be neutral about both right now we're listening in this 3d world as human beings right now our goals as metaphysical people are to ascend to spirit guide status and then beyond and when we're in that beyond we are just simply beings of light just flying around the universe without a gender or a sex so when you think about that that's the highest spiritual evolvement my angel that i refer to in my spirit council i call them angel Hoboth. that angel has no form it's just a being of light that's how highly evolved it is again there's no sex there's no gender i also had a non-binary spirit guide who came to me in a dream a year ago i never forgot the dream they blew air into my root and sacral chakras and they were dressed in a brown, a muted brown tunic. They had muted brown hair and their skin was a soft brown. They almost looked like a Japanese anime character. And it was so, I don't know, it was so healing. And that's where I felt a year ago where I started my path to healing. So I really feel that there is something healing. There is something spiritual evolved about the non-binary. Oh, this one you're going to (laughs) love. Jennifer has a fetish. This one you're going to love. I've also met a couple non-binary people that I was very sexually attracted to. It was their energy. It wasn't about what they look like. It was just simply their energy. And I wanted to drink in their energy in a sexual way. There was just something about them that was just so attractive And Robert Monroe talks about this a little. He is the astral projection expert, or he was the astral projection expert. I talked about him very quickly in one episode, and he talks about going to a different plane or a different realm, and in that realm, he just is so attracted to a non-binary being, and he has sex with it. So that's kind of how I felt. There was something very sexual, And I'm certainly not saying every non-binary person I I feel that way about, but these two people in particular, there was something about their energy that was just infectious in a sexual way. All right, so now you know my fetish. There you go. I have to end with this quote from Jessica Kale: Trans and non-binary gender identities have existed in many cultures since antiquity, And the fact that they have developed independently of each other strongly suggests that they are natural rather than learned. Not only are these identities older than 1960, but they predate Christianity by some 3,000 years. So the next time someone tells you they want to return to traditional values, you be sure to ask them, how far back do you want to go? Until next time, support people for being their authentic selves, including transgender and non-binary people, and live your life two inches off the ground.